Welcome everyone to the Immigrant's Journey podcast, where we share stories of living abroad from around the world. Today, we are happy to be chatting with Julia Mustaki, who is an arts curator with a particular focus on how the public views art. She has been working as a public engagement curator for Dublin's Culture. It aims to raise awareness of Dublin's cultural heritage and contemporary public artworks. Julia has a Master in Arts Management and Cultural Policy from the University College Dublin and has studied literature in Paris and art history in Durham University, England. Julia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you. Absolutely our pleasure. So let's start with your beginning. Um, as we were chatting earlier, you are very multinational. You were born in Paris. You've lived in Turkey, England, India, and now Ireland. So take us through your life from France to Ireland. Okay. So, yeah, I guess I I went to Turkey when I was a child, like from six to 10 years old from my uh, dad's work. With some reflection, I think it was a key constituent in I don't know, my interest in living abroad and discovering other cultures and maybe being more um, adaptable. So we lived in Istanbul for four years um, and then we came back to France and we lived in two different places. Then I did my studies in Paris and I felt like I didn't really like the the academic um, system in the university in Paris. Mm, How come? So I felt a bit, I don't know, stuck in a very I don't know old way of functioning or I don't know if it's old but very rigid anyway um so like in France you need to do this specific um like this specific masters or to get to this specific job and you need to know right away like when you're 18 they ask you like what job do you want to do and you know and you need to choose your trajectory and it's not really flexible like I know when I came to England I discovered like you can study and music or history and then work in a bank or something which yes <laughs> yeah in France that doesn't happen like it's like as if I 18 and even before 18 years old like at 16 you need to choose what specialty you are in so either like kind of humanities literature languages or math science or economics and I'm like at 16 and then that determines the rest of your life and I don't know that's scary um and if you took the wrong path you can't really go back you just have to start again you know yes I don't like that way of functioning and then even so I chose to study humanities study humanities and even in this sector which I thought was going to be more open-minded and you know it was still very academic and close-minded and you have to um it wasn't critical thinking I felt like it was just regurgitating not just what you've learned but a certain way of thinking yes I just had to conform and I hated this and then when I I went to England for an Erasmus exchange so I didn't have like expectations or anything but then the university there was like amazing for me because it was so open-minded like teachers were so uh, supportive and and involved um, and interested generally as opposed to in France it's quite hierarchical like mm. it's a very vertical transmission of knowledge so you have the teacher and you don't interrupt the teacher and the professor and there's not really an interaction between the students and the professor whereas in England was totally different and your your thoughts and your opinions and 
whatever you had to say were valued and that was very new to me so after that I was like I'm not going back to, to study in France I don't, <laughs> don't want this anymore so I applied for a few masters in an English-speaking country like in England or in Ireland or in um, the Netherlands actually and then I thought well why not Dublin so I uh, came here, here you are yeah, exactly. And in the meantime, I had been just like six months in India for because I had a gap in my uh, studies and I did like sort of an internship with a cultural organization in the middle of India. So that was really nice. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me something that you love about your culture. <laughs> so that's hard, but I guess I realize now with a bit more um, perspective that. France is quite good at democratizing culture. Like it's quite accessible there. I find there's loads of things happening in any sector of the arts. Like it's not only visual arts or music, but like in any subject matter. And yeah, for free or you have lots of reduced prices for young people and elderly people, etc. Anyway, it's quite, they do a lot of initiative. There's lots of funding uh, put into the arts. Now that I'm not in France anymore, I realize how, I took that for granted that I, like that it's a common thing to go into a gallery or museum. And then in Ireland, I saw that the cult, the visual culture wasn't so embedded um, for various reasons. So that's something I quite value now in France. Definitely. Yeah. Sometimes you need to step away from your culture in order to see the pieces of it. That's like, no, I really like that. And that doesn't exist here. So that that's really cool. Yeah. What's, something about your culture you wish you could change well i think i would go back to the the uh, close-minded thing about studies and careers etc which i think applies to like it, it starts there and then it's a bigger thing in the french culture that uh, you have to be i think in every culture but you have to be put in a box i don't have so much space to move from it i would really like friends to be a bit more I think they used to, like they need to get on with their times. Like nowadays, things change all the time, and people move and have different experiences and different skills. And friends can be stuck in their in its old ways. Yes, uh, for that. So I would like that to change at some point. And it probably will in time. I suppose like France is such an ancient culture with so much rich history, especially in the arts. They're probably like. We've been doing it awesome forever. We're not going to easily change our way. <laughs> That's probably what they think. A lot of uh, self-confidence there. <laughs> What's something about French culture that most people don't know? Oh, yeah. So I was thinking about this. I was like, maybe people don't know that French people are not all actually bad, annoying, rude people. Because um, <laughs> I tend to see them like this, even though I'm French. So I am, and I know every every foreign person thinks French people are super arrogant, and and part of it is true. But I think they're actually more uh, maybe lacking confidence, and then people think they're rude, but it's just their mm -hmm. way of, of pretending they're okay is to appear as kind of too standoffish. Yeah, uh, but I think actually most French people are quite open minded, like not open to other cultures and you know interested. they're just they look like they don't care but it's, it's not true <laughs> no I know what you mean like I've never been to France myself that's definitely still on the bucket list but any French person that I have met in Ireland or in America I thought they were absolutely lovely so maybe you guys are just arrogant in your own country <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, exactly. It's true. Like when I'm in France, there's lots of people I don't like, and then I go abroad, and all the French people are lovely. So. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's fantastic. Now, since moving to Ireland, what's been one of the most tricky things about integrating into Irish culture? Well, I think just, yeah, making like uh, strong, deeply rooted connections, like friendships. I'm sure that's the same for every immigrant living somewhere else. But again, I I kind of took for granted that um, we're in Europe and I thought all the countries were so similar and the cultures. And then I realized uh, there's quite a a lot of differences especially I think because Ireland is an island and it's not on the continent and that's subtle subtle things that you don't really understand at first so I think I had a lot of disappointments like because I, I wouldn't understand like people say oh yeah um like I don't know we'll, we should go for coffee soon and I took that literally I was like oh yeah so but it's just saying like to be nice and I was like but why is this person not calling me back to go for coffee you know all those little things uh, it just takes a bit of time. And I would say, like, although I really like Irish people and obviously I'm happy to be here, etc., I, I still sometimes struggle to have very deep friendships with people here because it seems like they have their own life and they, I think it's the same everywhere, but it's, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I've heard so many podcast guests express the same thing, just trying to connect in a more meaningful way with people. And it is, people do get busy with stuff, with activities, with tasks. And it's often easy to put relationships and friendships on the back burner because you're busy trying to figure out how to pay rent in this exorbitant economy. (laughs) It's tough. It's really tough. But let's talk about your work and your passion for visual arts. Let's start with public engagement and participation in art. Where did your interest come from in that and how did you start working in this in Dublin and for Dublin sculpture? I wasn't sure I wanted to work in this area or even that this area of work was uh, something that existed but um, after so I did this master in um, UCD for arts management and everyone was kind of expressing what they would like to do and I started to wonder what is it that I want to do And then I learned about the Lab Gallery, which is in Dublin uh, on Foley Street. And it's like a a gallery that's sort of trying to experiment with visual arts and with emerging artists or testing things. And I discovered, yeah, like the whole world of creation of exhibitions, etc. And I really, I really liked that. I was really attracted to this world of like, talking to artists and about the concept of their work and meeting a lot of artists and being this kind of sphere. But quite quickly, I was a bit frustrated about yeah, how close it seems to be, like how niche this area is. Uh, and it seems like only artists are frequenting galleries in Dublin, you know, it's not really the general public. And I don't think it's there's multiple causes to this. Uh, I, I'm not blaming anyone, but um. I really like when there is an encounter between art and people who are not like, I feel sometimes there's too much of a conceptual approach nowadays to contemporary arts. And I really like that just the, the encounter, the without any explanation, just seeing stuff or experiencing arts. And I think my favorite, initially my favorite art form was more like not necessarily theater, but um, performance art, you know, where, mm-hmm. 
you're a bit more immersed uh, into something. And so in my head, I have those two things like being immersed into an artwork and how it, it makes you just uh, access this other dimension or something where you're starting. You're just like, it's kind of magic. You're somewhere else. Yeah. And also it can bring like a lot of questions about our times and life. Uh, so it's quite thought provoking. So I like that. Uh, but also uh, the other aspects that I want is uh, visual arts nowadays in Ireland, like and how to combine those two and make it a unique experience. And I think working in visual arts just made me want to bring more public to it. Yes. Um, and then I worked a, a little bit for the Hewlett Gallery in the education uh, department. So again, trying to like engage with the public and how to attract them to be in the gallery, like a series of programs. And I was like, yeah, that's definitely something I feel like I even prefer something that's about art than the artwork itself. Interesting. Like a talk about uh, a, um, yeah, a movement in the arts or an artwork or a workshop rather than just being in the gallery and looking at art. What's around arts and how it brings people together like working in galleries etc I was in this like yeah this interaction with the public and like that combines two things I love like interaction with people and being lost in this magic magical art world so yeah that's how it came and then I was like I want to pursue this and bring art to as many people as possible and yeah <laughs> what are the pragmatic steps that you take to make the public aware of what's going on in terms of Sculpture Dublin or any other kind of public artistic works? Yeah, so the pragmatic steps can be, yeah, like harder to determine, I guess, for Sculpture Dublin precisely. For our pragmatic steps, what is easy is that it's a temporary program. So we have six new commissions in the city. So we, we know what we're going to communicate about, we're going to talk about these new commissions and we're going to to try and uh, have talks uh, around them with the, the artist commissions. You know, it's not just talking about arts in general. It's culture and it's those commissions. But then um, I think there's different aspects. So there is an aspect which is just information. Like let's let like tell people that it's happening, tell people about sculpture, maybe have talks about sculpture, like just pure uh, transmission of knowledge if people are curious and interested. And then I think there is a more a fun, creative aspect, which is um, proposing workshops or this kind of things to people where they can yeah. materially experience what it is to, to sculpt um, with different materials. And then there is discovering, looking like sculpture in general, like where do you see sculptures in the city? What does it mean to you, uh, sculpture? And, and so this is like... How, just organizing more talks, but sort of maybe tours. And it's, it's hard, but trying to find uh, activities that are going to be both, you know, giving you some knowledge, but at the same time, giving you space to be creative and interested into what's happening, not just passively receiving information. Mm. And yeah. And how do you make the public aware? Is it through the use of social media? Do you have things put up on billboards around like Tesco's or super values? Mm. How does that work? How does and, anybody know that you exist? <laughs> yeah. It's hard. There's so many messages uh, into the world, you know, nowadays. And there's, a, you know, we have restricted, uh, limited budgets like everyone else. So we use social media quite a lot. We have a 
uh, social media communications person, Astrid Newman. And she is like every day she's posting, um, she's going on Twitter, on Facebook, etc. So that's one of our channels. Then we've put um, a few things into the, like local newspapers regarding specific commissions. Uh, we've done a lot of uh, flyers distribution into homes around uh, commissions. We, we try to do some, have some media exposure. So we have a PR company that we work with. Yeah, these kind of channels. Very good. And now when you're considering what kind of art to commission for a specific neighborhood, do you try to get feedback from the residents of the neighborhood? Like, do the residents have any say into mm. what goes up in their neighborhood? Or is uh, this purely city council determines that? So um, so my role was uh, is public engagement creator. So I wasn't involved in all the production side, which uh, my colleague Sabina McMahon was doing uh, with the program director, Karen Downey. Um, so for each of the commissions, there was a whole process with DCC, with Dublin City Council, a panel put together to choose the artists. And then there was a consultation with the parks. So this is a parks initiative with the parks staff to decide which park would benefit from an artwork, which park doesn't have a sculpture already, et cetera, in um, the five different uh, Dublin City Council administrative areas. Mm -hmm. And then once that was decided, we tried to engage uh, the local people as much as possible. For example, there's two commissions that were participative, which means that the public was directly involved into the, the creation of the sculpture. So in Fingless, in Kildonan Park, the artist Sarah Cunningham-Bell, she consulted with a wide range of people and, and engaged with them and had talks and workshops and loads of discussions. And after that, she designed something uh, that represented the people of Fingless nowadays. She made it because she's the artist and she has yes, the ability, you know, but it was all from what she heard from local people. And then the same uh, kind of commission is taking place in Bali Ferments, where the artist Brida Maron has been consulting as well with local people and engaging, etc. And she had all the feedback and she is in the process of building her sculpture. It's not installed yet, but it's uh, similarly, it's a representing through uh, an object what the people of Ballyfermot have said uh, about what they want to see. In that sense, they're not like voting, you know, they're the inspiration for the work. Yes. Their words are being taken. Uh, but for the other commissions, it's we're trusting the artists to, to do something that's going to be exciting artistically and, you know, with a knowledge of the local area. But it, this is like an artist, it's their job. So we're not, we're, we're, we're involving the public in, workshops and talks etc but they're not like deciding what's gonna be in their local in their local park or yeah no of course that makes total sense at the end of the day the person that creates has to be given the freedom to interpret what it is that yeah. they're creating but the, i can see how the feedback plays into what they ultimately ima imagine and make. exactly that's really cool So you also wanted to discuss visual thinking strategies method. Yeah. That's a mouthful and I have never heard of this and I'm really looking forward okay. to digging in. <laughs> okay. It's hard to explain. Yeah. It's like a whole alien thing when I try to explain to people, but basically it's just like a method of asking questions to a group of people 
when you're looking at an artwork, like there's a set of questions that is that have been determined quite carefully with a lot of research by a psychologist, etc. So you're not supposed to change the questions. So in that sense, it's quite like it feels like a sect or something, but, <laughs> but it's actually uh, allowing people looking at an artwork to interpret interprets in various ways. So for example, I should tell also this was born in the US uh, in MoMA in the Museum of Modern Art in New York, like maybe in the 90s. And it was brought to Ireland maybe like 10 years ago or something uh, in Cork and in Dublin. And since then, there's been a lot of work around it at trainings to train educators to it. And it's starting to be used in schools and it's really fascinating. So let's say you take like a painting and you have a, a school, like a class of children and you ask them like, what's going on? in this picture and then they start saying stuff yes. um, and you paraphrase everything they say and then you ask a specific question what do you see that makes you say that I don't know this there is a sun on this image and then they justify with a visual with visual evidence why they think that and then the last question is what more can we find which is an open-ended question and so you do that for like maybe 20, 30 minutes. And it's incredible what I think the best way to do VTS is with children, but how children come up with amazing stuff. And you could take the most like abstract, contemporary, not even a painting, could be like a sculpture or anything, and they will blow your mind. <laughs> so I love this method because you're not given any information about that work. You are interpreting, there's no right or wrong. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. So that's amazing in itself. And then it's such a great way to like take time to look at arts nowadays where, you know, everything is so buzzy and you never take time to like rest for a second. And now your, your brain is fully on active because you're giving of your own thoughts. So that's great. And there's loads of research on how the, the cognitive abilities of children are being uh, reinforced with this method. Like it might seem obvious, but to really listen to each other, to value each other's uh, thoughts, input. to input, yeah, to learn that uh, there can be several possibilities. There's no, so they, they think something, then someone else thinks something and they're like, oh, okay, both are possible. Uh, they learn to back up what they've said, you know, with evidence. There's just so much. Um, and it's also used for adults, which, you know, can be totally fine. I just think children have no filter of their imagination. So That's it's right. more. They haven't exciting. been conditioned the way that exactly. adults have been. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I try to to use it or program it as much as I can. No, it's, re it's really cool. And it's definitely an exercise in imagination. Because you're seeing, because yeah. the, the act of interpreting is to engage your imagination and apply yeah. it towards what you're experiencing. So that is really super cool. Why do you think public art is important and public engagement with art is important? I think, like a lot of people, I think arts makes our life a little bit better. <laughs> it brings this extra, as I was saying, magical thing in our day. And it's a great way to lead to imagination. Uh, to escape our lives for a second, <laughs> it benefits everyone. And then if it's just in a gallery behind a wall that no one will go to, there's no point. And yeah. it's, then it's secluded and then it's a privilege to be in this gallery. So uh, that's why I think public art is so important. And it, 
you know, it's if it's in the street, it's it's for everyone and it's accessible and you can come back to it and you don't even notice it, but it's there. And the, for that reason, I think it's super important. And participation, I think, is a way to it's just a step to get to that to the art. So instead of just being a sculpture somewhere that no one will look at and notice because they think, oh, it's not for me, even though it's outside. Participation is a way to bring people in and take the barriers down of prejudice of like, oh, art is not for me. I know nothing about this. and it's weird, it's contemporary, and just dive in and, and realize that art is about everyone and can be anything, and it doesn't have to be. That's why I like contemporary art. There's no research on it yet. You know, there's very little written about it, so it can be anything you want. It's just in the eyes of the viewer. Yeah, more participation allows more connection to art, which allows more happiness. <laughs> I totally agree. Absolutely. What would you say is the best career advice you've ever gotten? I thought about that one and I forgot. <laughs> Something to do with uh, just trusting yourself. The feedback that you gave me was to be yourself which I think is fantastic. Because I think if you're doing something that fundamentally goes against your values, then you're not going to be happy. Even if you're skilled in it, even if you're making loads of money, you're not going to be happy in it. Yeah, no, thank you. (laughs) It was food. And because I'm only, I'm still like, questioning myself on this every day and I'm not sure, but I think it was during COVID last year, I was like, why am I doing this work? And what do I want to do? And what? I feel like I've tried to conform so much to what I thought people wanted me to do or what was cool to do or what was... And then I'm like, no, I'm actually interested into participation uh, in the arts and not just, and not necessarily the high-end side of, you know, making great exhibitions for artists. No, I want to be... And once I've discovered this and I allowed myself to think that, it's so freeing and I feel like I actually have power to change things and being recognized for what I do so yeah I think be yourself is the best best advice (laughs) it's fantastic advice like even when I think about my own life I've always wanted to go to university never had the opportunity to do it in America it's very costly also I was illegal there so there's, there's loads of barriers but when I came to Ireland I did have the opportunity then it's like what to study I originally started to study law this is back in 2007 but then the economy tanked and I lost my job. I lost my ability to pay for college and it just took years for me to get back on a, you know, trajectory where I had the finances to do university. And then finally I got my degree in psychology in 2020, finished that up, realized I don't want to be a clinician. (laughs) So then it was the start of COVID lockdown. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to survive this without doing some other kind of course. So I was working as a carer, then I was working as a social care worker, because you can do that with a psychology degree. And that was interesting. Um, But I did a a CIPD course in learning and development and realized I don't want to have a nine to five office job. It makes me feel like my soul is dying inside. (laughs) So now I'm going to do a course in sound engineering because I love music. I've been playing instruments just recreationally as a hobby, Mm. you know, since I was a little kid, I've been in bands back in the day, but it's exactly that. Be true to yourself. If you try to fit yourself in a box that you don't belong, it doesn't matter what the potential is in that role. It's not for you. 
because yeah. it's not you. So now yeah. I'm going to say no to everything that doesn't sit right with me emotionally. And I'm not going to worry about the finances because I think I really do believe that if you pursue something that makes you want to get up in the morning and do mm-hmm. it in time, you will build skill and you will make money with it. Like I was thinking to myself, if I have the earning potential of maybe 35 to 50,000 per annum doing something that I'm like, meh, why don't I try to make 35,000 per annum doing something that I'm like, woohoo, this is actually what I want to do. So there you go. And you're never too old. You know what I mean? A lot of times people are like, I put all this time into this and I'm really unhappy, but it's like, you're not going to die next year or the next five, 10, 15 years. So invest some time learning something new that's going to enable you to do something that you really want. And that's something that I've learned from all the guests that have come on the podcast, how moving to a new place allows them to reinvent themselves. Uh, So many individuals that have come to Ireland with a background in the stents, with a background in mathematics or engineering, and then like, no, I actually love art. I actually want to direct. I actually want to start my own business and be an entrepreneur, but I could never do it back home because there's so much judgment from friends and family and expectations. And then when you're in a new place, nobody knows you. You can literally do whatever you want. So I think that's something really amazing about immigrating to a new place. And speaking of a new place, What do you wish to contribute to Irish society while you're living here? I have very limited (laughs) power of change, but I I would like to contribute to making arts more accessible and people engage more in arts and feeling empowered to do so, uh, feeling like they belong to this group of people who can engage with arts. I think that would be a great achievement if there's more people interesting to art and engaging in it. And it's really fun. I really enjoyed the whole interpretive aspect of it. I've recently gotten into surreal painters. Bekczynski is one of my favorites, although his stuff is quite dark. And I was sharing it with my brother who has zero interest in art. And he's just like, this guy's soul is destroyed. And that's what he got from looking at his artwork. His soul is destroyed. And I'm like, that is so interesting because yeah, it is dark. But I just, I view it in different type, more layered ways. But he was just like, no, this is not for me. But it is interesting to like have these kinds of conversations and see what people yeah. and how yeah. certain images resonates with them. Yeah, it's loads of fun. Um, What's something that you know now that you wish you knew when you first started your career? Can I say the same? (laughs) Of course you can. (laughs) So I just, yeah, like if I knew at the time that I I was, it was okay to be myself and then I didn't have to fit all the boxes and try to conform that that would have probably saved some time. But at the same time, it's all about the journey and I couldn't have known if I didn't do all those experiences. So, you know, (laughs) <laughs> it's all about learning absolutely until you know you don't know so exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Julia, that was so lovely chatting with you and getting a little bit of insight into the kind of work that you do like myself I've heard of sculpture Dublin but I never really understood the ins and outs and what mm-hmm. goes into commissioning mm-hmm. a statue and trying to get the public involved so this is really great and uh, if people want to uh, find out more about you and your work where can they 
find you? Well, I don't have a, an online presence as such at the moment. I'm thinking of making maybe making a website, but uh, otherwise I have Instagram. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> or an email or, you know. What's your Insta? Oh, it's, it's a bit weird. Um, <laughs> Juju B Moose. So, oh, very good. No, I did find it there and I'm going to put it in the show notes. So yeah, perfect. Can, it's can easier. Up there. <laughs> <laughs> and if people want to contact you uh, with questions yeah. and stuff in regards to work, do you have a LinkedIn? I have a LinkedIn. Yeah, that's a great. Way to, yeah. So I'll, I'll, give you so I'll put the link to the LinkedIn perfect. as well. Thank you. <laughs> no worries at all. So Julia, thank you once again for taking some time so to much. share a little bit of your journey with us. And until the next journey, ciao. Thanks.